Now this evening I want us just briefly to look at the visit of the wise men to worship baby Jesus. It is recorded in that passage we just read from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. And we'll walk through that passage. But essentially the truth God wants us to learn from this passage, from this event, is that the birth of Jesus is God coming to be our king. The birth of Jesus is God coming to be our king. The Bible, the God of the Bible, created everything out of nothing. That's what the Bible tells us. When we hear a loud noise, right, in the house, sometimes we ask, who is that? Who did that? Well, in the same way, this world with all its beauty, its stars, its mountains, its ocean life, sandy beaches and green valleys, right, forces us every day to ask, who did that? Who did that? The Bible introduces us to the person who did that. God, our maker, did that. And because God owns everything, he is Lord and King over everything. But the Bible also says all of us have rebelled against God, our creator, God, our king. Our rebellion against God started in the Garden of Eden with our ancestors, Adam and Eve. They did not want God to be their king. And now all of us are born as rebels against our God. The Bible says we are born outside the kingdom of God. That's the default position of everyone, even our precious infants as they are born. Because we rebelled against God, we are all automatically going to hell to suffer eternal punishment. Hell is our default destination of each and every person. But the good news is that God is not happy that people he loves are now outside his kingdom. So he has a plan to bring us into the kingdom of God. And in the Bible, this plan of God starts to take shape when God calls a man, his name is Abraham. And God calls Abraham, we see that in Genesis 12, as a vehicle through whom he's going to bless the world. In fact, as a vehicle through whom God himself will come to rule the world and, and, and call us to be part of his kingdom. And in the, in the Old Testament, as we read it, we see God working through Abraham's descendants, Israel, with many twists and many turns, right? God was preparing them for the arrival of the king, God himself in the flesh. You see, throughout the history of Israel, they longed for God to come. God kept sending them prophets to reassure them that he will indeed come as he promised. Well, the good news of Christmas, while we are here, the good news of Christmas is that God has come. Christmas says God has fulfilled his promise. The birth of our Lord Jesus Christ is God himself coming as our king. And this is what the story of the wise man is teaching us. Uh, please look with me there. We're just going to walk through this uh, quickly. Just to give you the background here, actually, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it has been now, we think, at least, or oh, closer to two years since the birth of Jesus, actually, in chapter 1. Baby Jesus is living in Bethlehem. The people of God, Israel, are now being ruled by the Romans, right? And they have installed a puppet king called Herod. We saw a vision of Herod, there, and a picture of Herod, right? 
Herod is in charge. And while Jesus is in Bethlehem, our narrator Matthew tells us something amazing is happening in the capital city of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. Look at this one there. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So a strange caravan has come to Jerusalem, right? It is carrying the wise men, or sometimes they're called the Magi. We don't know much about them. We don't know how many they are, right? But they are most likely from Babylon, or perhaps even far away, right? Further away. They are rich, and they are probably come with typical Persian pomp as they arrive in Jerusalem. It's a caravan, right? Why have these foreigners traveled all the way from Babylon, right? to come breathing heat and danger to come to Jerusalem. Well, they have a burden on their hearts. And we are told in verse 2 what that burden is. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Matthew says in verse 1 of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, the old wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the wise men are asking, where is baby Jesus? We've come all the way from Babylon to see him. Where is it? Now, you need to pause there and think about that. That's a very dangerous question they're asking. Why is it dangerous? Because there's already a king. His name is Herod. Right? Imagine you travel to Moscow today, right? And you start asking people, I have heard you've got a new leader here. He's more powerful than President Putin. He's going to be the leader of the world. I mean, how long are you going to last <laughs> asking such questions? Especially if you're offering yourself to, be, to sort of work for this new leader. Well, you'd be dead, isn't it? You didn't last more than a minute. Because it is treason. And this is what these wise men are risking. They're risking death. It is a dangerous thing to ask about a new king when there is already a king in Israel. And because they are wise... They know that what they are doing is dangerous. And so that begs the question, doesn't it? Why are they asking publicly for Jesus when they know it's dangerous? It's a very important question. Because the wise men believe this newborn king, Jesus, is worth the risk of death. They would rather die than not honor and worship Jesus. Have you ever wanted something so wonderful, so beautiful, so powerful, that you would risk everything for it? I once watched a program uh, on um, one of the geographic channels. It's about a girl who is training to go to Mars. And she's gone through all kinds of rigorous training because one day she wants to be on Mars. Her life revolves around that. She's taking a lot of risks and giving up a lot of things because that's her vision, right? She wants to be on mass. Well, the wise men here believe that knowing and loving Jesus is more wonderful than even going to mass. It's more wonderful than achieving our wildest dreams because Jesus is God coming as our king. These wise men are showing us what true faith in Jesus looks like. True faith in Jesus believes Jesus is more important to us than our time, our hobbies, our money, our friends, 
our family, and even our own life. Does this describe your faith in Jesus this evening? Is Jesus number one in your life, or is Jesus just an add-on? So let's rejoin the wise men. The wise men are in Jerusalem, and their visit is shaking the city with rumors of a new king of Israel. And the news quickly reaches Herod, doesn't it? Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The religious experts, Herod has consulted these experts, and the religious experts have told him, according to the prophecy God gave Micah, the chosen king is coming, and he'll be born in Bethlehem. And we can imagine at this moment, Herod's heart is racing. He knows now there's a strong chance that the Messiah has indeed come, right? And so what does he decide to do? Well, he decides to treat the wise men. So let's read on. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, we know Herod does not want to worship Jesus because soon he's going to murder a lot of infants in Bethlehem. So he doesn't want to worship Jesus. What he wants to do is, he wants to use his wise men to find Jesus, right? So that he can quickly go and kill Jesus. And this is typical Herod. Herod is a murderer. We know that from history. And at this point, he has already killed his own wife and her two brothers because he suspected them of plotting against him. He is 70 years old. He has a terminal disease. He's losing control over himself and he's losing control over his family. The last thing Herod wants is to hear that God is in town. He doesn't want Jesus as king. Do you want Jesus as king? Because I think Herod is not alone. There is something of an Herod in all of us. Now, I know this puzzles you because you are here this evening and, and you attend church, I'm sure, regularly. And you're like, I'm nothing like Herod. I have no Herod in me, right? But ask yourself this. Is God in charge of your life? Would God run your life the way you're running it? If he was calling all the shots in your life? Would you say you have surrendered your life to God? Your rights and your desires, your body, your family, your money. Would you say that? Are you willing, really, ask yourself that question. Am I willing to have Jesus as my king? Are you, or, or would you say your life actually revolves Jesus revolves around you rather than your life revolving around him. Are you growing in pleasing him above your own desire? Well, if the answer is no, then really you are no different to the call from Herod. Because like Herod, you see, Herod's problem is that he loves living independent of God. 
And you know, the problem with living like that is, is that if Jesus is not your king, you cannot have his blessings. You cannot, you cannot have his love. You cannot have his peace. You cannot have his joy. But it's worse than that. By refusing to surrender your life to Jesus, you have placed yourself under everlasting punishment from God in hell forever. And God doesn't want that for any of us. He wants you to follow the example of the wise men and live for the newborn king. So let us rejoin the wise men. As soon as the wise men listened to the guidance of the religious leaders and King Herod, they resumed their journey to see the true king. Let's read on verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. I just want to pause there, right? Have you noticed, maybe you read this a number of times, I'm sure. But has it ever occurred to you? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Have you noticed that there's no mention here of the religious leaders going along with the wise men to Bethlehem? You'd think they would want to go along and check it out. They've, they've explained where Jesus is. This is what they've been waiting for. God has brought these wise men from the east as a gracious sign to the people of Israel. And he's now come to serve them and rule over them. And you think, yeah, let's join in. Let's go and see where Jesus is. They should be excited, right? But no, they can't be bothered. Where they are and where Bethlehem is, it's just a walk down the road, really. But they can't even be bothered to do that. So we have to ask yourself a question. What's going on here? Why this apathy? Well, you see, it seems that although these people study the Bible, they come to church, we might say, every Sunday morning. They listen to the sermons. They tell others about Jesus even, perhaps. But they don't really believe in it. They don't believe the Bible. And you know, as I thought about this, their behavior is the warning to all of us here. Coming to church every Sunday, reading the Bible, is not the same as truly trusting in God. You know, God is not after people who just know a lot of things about Him. Or do a lot of good things. Or care a lot about their family. He, he wants each one of us to truly know and love Jesus. Do you know and love Jesus? Are you growing in wanting to know and trust Jesus? If the answer is no, then you are not yet a true Christian. You're like, oh, how can you say that? No, it's true. You are not yet a true Christian. Because your heart is showing you are like these religious leaders. You go to church. You know about the Bible. But you're not yet born again. There's no life in you. God has not given you a new heart. If you die today, you'd not go to heaven. Yes, you know more of the Bible to serve all of China. But you yourself are not yet truly converted. But God is gracious and merciful. And that's why he has brought you to church this evening. Courtesy of our, the instrumentality of our nativity crew. Right? He's brought you here. Right? To church this evening. Why? Because he wants you to truly repent of your sin and to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He wants you to look at your own heart and say, I am hell bound. I need to be served. I need to trust in Jesus. I need Jesus to forgive my sin and give me a new heart. A heart that wants to 
be with him. A heart that warms to Jesus. Longs to love him and grow in knowing him. A truly regenerate heart. A heart like the heart of the wise men, actually. They portray something of that. They know they need Jesus. And so off they go to see his wonderful face. Let's read on. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. What sort of star is this that um, appears, then disappears? Well, we don't know. What we do know is that God has led them directly to the newborn king. And look at their reaction. The, the, the first reaction of these wise men as they see baby Jesus is to fall on their knees and worship the newborn king, our Lord Jesus. Look at this stand. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. You know, the wise men have been confronted with the majesty of God, robbed in human flesh. And the glory of Christ, as they look at him, forces them to their knees. And we know their worship is from the heart. They are worshiping Jesus. How do we know it's from the heart? Because of the huge sacrifices they have made to get here. And because of the gifts they have brought to Jesus. Costly gifts. Let's read on. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. God, frankincense, and man. There's a lot we can say about these gifts. But what underpins them is this. They are costly. These are costly gifts. The wallets of these wise men is agreeing with their hearts that the birth of Jesus is God coming to be our king. You know, the wise men are joyfully surrendering their prized possession, prized earthly treasures. Why? Because they have in Jesus a treasure that surpasses all treasures. And dear friend, this is what Christmas is demanding from you this very moment. God has come in Jesus to be our king. He's offering us citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is God welcoming us into his life. He has come to give you a new life where you know that he loves you and accepts you and truly delights in you. He wants you to inherit the blessings of his kingdom, to have rock-solid assurance that you'll be with him in the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. You and I do not deserve that. As I said, we are natural-born rebels against God. And the penalty of our treason is everlasting punishment in hell. But Christmas says Jesus is God our King, who was born as one of us, so that he can die on the cross to pay the price for our sin. The penalty of your treason against God. You see, King Jesus lived among us without sin. And when the time came, our king allowed his hands and feet to be nailed to the wooden cross for us. For you, friend. As King Jesus died there on the cross, he carried the whole weight of your sin. Our king took on himself the punishment from God that we deserve. You know, many leaders today would do anything to survive in their jobs. Anything. We don't have politicians. We don't have political leaders. We have survivors. 
They will do anything to survive in their jobs. Even when everything is falling apart, they want to hold on to it. And of course, they put everyone else under the bus just to get to the top. And when they are there, they like to stay there. Our Lord Jesus is not like our political leaders. He is the king who sacrifices himself for his citizens. He is a king who came to to, to, to serve, not to be served. You know, think about a lightning rod, right? As a lightning rod on top of a tall building intercepts lightning strikes. And as it does that, it protects the people beneath. So King Jesus is our lightning rod from God's judgment, from our sin. Our king was willingly struck by the punishment of God for your sin on the cross so that all his citizens underneath can take shelter in him, that we may be forgiven by God. That's what Jesus offers us. To be our shelter from the very wrath and judgment of God. But to have Jesus as your king, to be truly a Christian, you must surrender to Jesus as the wise men have done here. You must say to Jesus this evening, you are my number one in my life. You must say to Jesus, I accept I am not in your kingdom. That's the beginning. No one can enter heaven without first accepting they are not good enough for heaven. So accept, I am not fit to enter your kingdom. I want you to forgive me because you died for me on the cross. Forgive me not because I'm good, but because you are good. And so I surrender to you now. And you know, if you truly surrender like that to Jesus this evening, right now, you forgive your sin and you become a citizen of his kingdom, regardless of how old or young you are. Now, I'm conscious that some of us here are truly trusting in Jesus as our king. So what does this message that the birth of Jesus is God coming as our king mean for us? Let me just give you two, uh, two, two quick comforts from this passage for those who are truly born again. This is not for those who think they are born again. It's for those who are genuinely converted. Two comforts. First, this passage is calling you to thank Jesus for being your king. Thank Jesus for being your king. You see, like the wise men from the east, you were once far away from King Jesus. But King Jesus, out of his love for you, sought you out. He came for you whilst you were dead in your sins, whilst you still hated him like King Herod. That's you. You are like King Herod. You wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But the Lord Jesus reached out to you, didn't he, with his nailed hands on that cross for your sins. And he sent the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin. And he raised up preachers to make the word of God known to you. You are convicted of your sin. You repented and you turned to Jesus. Not because of anything you have done. All of that was grace. And Jesus is keeping you now in his kingdom by his grace. Friend, if you are a believer this evening, your life with Jesus has always been a one-way love from God to you. It is all down to God. You bring nothing to the table. It is all by his grace. Thank him for that. This evening. Christmas is a reminder, is an opportunity for you just to rejoice in God saving you. You know, sometimes we forget how wonderful it is to be a Christian. A true Christian. We forget the amazing privilege of having Jesus as our Lord and King. 
We forget that there's no one like Jesus. There's no one. Our King is full of grace and love for us. He has lovingly committed himself to us with the contract of his own precious blood. So this Christmas, thank Jesus for this. And the best way for you to thank Jesus is by laying down everything. Everything you treasure before Jesus. No ifs, no buts. Surrender completely to Jesus. This what in your life do you currently treasure so much that you are afraid of losing? Well, surrender that thing to Jesus. Give the king full control of it. Another way you show you are thankful for Jesus is you tell everyone about it. You know, the wise men told all of Jerusalem. Is one person this Christmas too much for your king? Finally, let this story of the wise men comfort you. That God your king will continue to look after you to the end as he did with the wise man. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The wise men were kept safe by God to the end, isn't it? And if you are truly trusting in King Jesus, you have no reason to doubt he is keeping you. God provides for his safety, for the safety of his people. He cares for us. You know, God owes us nothing. But he ensures that nothing can derail his plans for us out of his grace. His will and purposes always stand because our God is sovereign. He's no servant of anything he's created. So trust him. If you are in Christ... Be comforted that God is keeping you. It does not mean that because Jesus is our king, no evil can happen to us. It means that because we are his, everything he allows is for our good. Because Jesus is your king, nothing can happen to you without his permission. And because he is good, what he allows is for your good. You don't have to doubt that. You and I need to keep this truth front and center in our lives. In whatever situation you are facing this evening, whether it's a private issue or it's a, uh, it's a it's a general issue in the in the country or whatever in your family, trust him. Well, may this truth of the birth of King Jesus comfort us, and may it move our hearts to surrender and worship our King each day, like these wise men. Surely, our wonderful King deserves nothing less. And what a privilege it is to. To have Jesus as our eternal king. To him alone be glory forever and ever. Amen.